Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. I'm Niall Braun. Adam Nelson has had an interesting career as a filmmaker. A lifelong film fan, Adam did a degree in film before moving into teaching the subject. His first short film as writer-director was The House Near Apple Park, and he went on to make his first feature, Little Pieces. Critically acclaimed, Little Pieces won the Best Independent Feature Film at the Dorking Film Festival in 2015, and was then nominated for a National Film Award in Best Drama category in 2016. Adam's next film is The Mire, a self-contained thriller which has raised some of its finance through crowdfunding. He joined the Movies in Focus podcast to talk about his career as a filmmaker, raising finance for independent films, and what he has planned for The Mire. As always, I hope you enjoy what we had to talk about. Hi Adam, how's it going? Uh, not too bad, no. Uh, not too bad at all. How are you? I'm all good. Um, thank you for joining the Movies in Focus podcast. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Um, so you're here to talk about your next movie, The Mire. Um, but before we get into that, just tell me a bit about how you became a director and your, your career so far. I um, I had a really kind of offbeat um, introduction to filmmaking. Like nowadays, a lot of new filmmakers, they go to film school, they learn how to make films the traditional way. Uh, and then they, uh, they move on, they make shorts, and then they sort of grow into feature films. I didn't do that. I always wanted to be a writer when I was younger. That was my, my passion. Uh, it was the only thing I was ever really kind of interested in or good at at school. Um, so that's what I focused on. And then I kind of drifted through school. I didn't really care. I wasn't interested in school that much. And then all of a sudden I found myself in a position where I had to go to college. And... I had no idea what I wanted to do and I knew I loved film, I knew I loved writing. Uh, they didn't offer a creative writing course but I noticed they offered a BTEC in creative media production course. It was called something different at the time I think but that was it. So I went to the um, to what the equivalent of a guidance counsellor that we had at school and said oh, do you think this will be right for me? And I was told, no, you're too smart to do a B-Tech, go and do A-levels. So about two days before I had to start college, I wandered into the college that I'd picked. There's three in the local area, uh, and I picked the one nearest to me. I wandered in, had a look at the courses I had on offer, picked media and film studies, was told you have to do a third if you want to come to college and not pay for it. So I went to the law department and I went to the psychology department and I think I wound up just asking now oh, which one's easiest <laughs> and uh, they said law is not easier than psychology so I went with psychology um, you know I, I was lazy I was 16 I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life I wasn't that focused on anything so I just picked the easiest sort of route and the things that I was interested in did you ever imagine you would, at that point, possibly go on to be a filmmaker, or was it just a means to an end at that point? God, I, I dabbled with like playing around, making films with toys and such, with a home video camera that we had. Um, but filmmaking, like I, I come from Portsmouth on the south coast of the UK. My dad 
was when I was growing up, my dad was an electrician. So, you know, we, we were very much a kind of like working class family that then benefited from, uh, I forget the term, but where you kind of travel upwards on the social ladder, as it were, um, because he progressed in his job and such. But we were very much like a, a you know, a working class family. And so filmmaking was something that other people did. It wasn't something that the son of an electrician from Portsmouth got to do. It was something that other people did. Uh, and so what happened at college was I enjoyed the practical parts of the A-level. I did the rest of the work. And then about two weeks before I sat my final A-level exams, um, I wandered into the college library and I was basically presented with two options. I could get a job, which at 18 I absolutely did not want to do, or I could go to university. And back then you could still apply to university, like right at the last minute and probably get a place. It's not like now where you have to be like ready to make your choice like half a year before you even sit your exams. So I, I went and I looked up media studies and film studies and I thought if I'm going to pay to go to university, because that's how I understood it, I was going to pay. I, I you know, had no interest in getting a student loan uh, because the form was like ludicrously long and it seemed like way too much effort. <laughs> and I was, I was working at the time. I had a, a decent job that paid well. So the fees back then were only a grand a year. So I knew I could earn that and pay it off. So I thought, if I'm going to pay to go and do this, I'm going to study something I'm interested in. So I studied film studies, which was largely theoretical. Um, went through that, enjoyed it, came to the end of it. And at that point, again, it was crunch time. And it was like, what am I going to do? Um, and I was sent a letter by the teaching department at the university who uh, basically told me that because film studies was such a niche subject there were so few people who could teach that and just that it was always kind of tied in with English or tied in with sure. uh, something else uh, so they would pay me to study to teach and by that point all I wanted was a job where I got to talk about film you know, I'd have been set, I'd have been happy with that. So I jumped on it and I thought, you know, if I don't like it, worst case scenario is I drop out and I have to go and get a job somewhere. But I actually took the teaching and I quite enjoyed it. Uh, and I went on to start teaching. And this was just around the time that the coalition government uh, came in with uh, the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats in the UK. And so a lot of money was taken out of the public sector. So suddenly I was faced with this prospect of I was kind of shunted sideways. And it was, you know, if you want to keep your job, not only do you have to teach film studies and the theoretical stuff, but you're also going to have to teach filmmaking. And, you know, I dabbled a bit at university and dabbled a bit in my A-levels. And, but at that point, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, I'll yeah, figure it out and wing it and you know, such. And uh, what I found, I'm, as I was sort of moved into that 
area and I found that I had to learn how to make films in order to teach people how to make films. Um, I met an incredibly, uh, I met an incredible man called Simon Westcott, who, as far as like teaching mentor and filmmaking mentors go, like you couldn't ask for someone better. Like, he'd done it. He'd run the six o'clock news. He'd made shows for the Discovery Channel, for ITV, for the BBC. Like, and he, how did you meet him? Uh, he was also a teacher. Okay. At the, he'd retired from working in the industry and gone on to teach. And so he kind of mentored me as a filmmaking teacher. And what I found was that I already had a lot of the sort of skills necessary to tell people how to put films together because I watched loads of films and I knew how films worked. Sure. But, and the stuff with like cameras and lighting and editing, and I don't mean at all to, um, to make this sound blasé or to belittle the efforts of people who are really, really good at these things. Because there are people who are obviously, they spend years studying this stuff and they do it really, really well. But the basics to kind of teach it at a college level, you can learn fairly easily and pick it up. And so that's, that's what I did. I learned as I went. And then I just found that like the bug bit me and I wanted to make my own stuff. Uh, played around a bit more, made a couple of things. And then my dad turned 50. And I wanted to, rather than get him just a traditional present, I made a documentary about his life. And I included loads of archive footage from when he was younger or from shows and such that were on TV when he was younger put loads of pictures and photographs of him growing up in it, interviewed my sister, my mum, his parents and family. And like it had a real emotional impact on like my family. I saw like the emotional impact that this thing that I'd made had done. So I thought, oh, I quite, quite like this. I'm going to have a go at making a, a proper short film. Uh, was it a short be, film called. Was it, was it going to be a documentary or was it going to be a, a fiction? This was going to be this was going to be fiction because I prefer telling fiction stories over over documentary. One of the reasons I didn't study filmmaking when I went to university is I always knew I was going to go to university locally to keep the cost down. And at that point, the production course at the University of Portsmouth was all documentary, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like documentaries are, are brilliant and amazing things, but that's not what I wanted to sure. do necessarily. So I picked film studies because I knew there was more of a focus on film as a fictional art form. Uh, so I knew I wanted to make a short film. I grabbed some of the students I worked with at the college I was teaching at, some of the good ones. Uh, brought them all down to Portsmouth for two days. And we made a short film called The House Near Apple Park, which is where the company gets its namesake from. And that was the first thing I watched, I made that I shared outside of my immediate circle of people. And it didn't win anything, but it got into a couple of festivals and other people saw it and it got some reviews and the reviews were really positive. And so that was a real kind of boost. It was a... It, boost not only to my ego but to my confidence and so because I'd come to the game late and I was about 
27 at this time. I thought, well, I've made a short film, cost three days, 300 quid. So there is no reason why I can't make a feature film across 30 days for about £6,000, which was the amount I knew I could put away to make something. I can use students that I work with on work experience to come and help me. I can use equipment from the college I work at to shoot it and record the sound and such. Uh, I created what, you know, the Rodriguez list, as it were, of the things that I knew I had access to and that I'd be able to get. And so we went and we made a feature film called Little Pieces, which at the time was just, for me, it was what it was. It was a £6,000 independent feature film made by a group of people who thought they knew what they were doing, but really didn't. Um, but learned a lot along the way. Yeah. And it was only ever designed to show that I could go from concept to finished product and make something that was feature length and not waste people's money if people gave me money. You had a 30 day shoot. How long did it take you to edit and everything else after that? The edit took about two years. We shot it in 2013. It didn't get released until 2015 um, because uh, it took us a long time to edit it because I was using students. They had their own things they had to focus on. Um, and I just, I did it in stages and one of my student, one of my former students edited it, but she had to do it around her university course. And then when it, uh, and then when it came to other forms of post-production, I had to teach myself to color grade because it needed doing, but I couldn't find anyone to do it. And then I had to find someone to do the re-recording mixing. And so that was a long process and, and like each of these things started to cost money. So I had to stop, save up a bit more, then carry on. Um, but somehow, and to this day, I still don't know how, and I've never really questioned it too much because I don't like to look the gift horse in the mouth. Somehow it got nominated for an award alongside that uh, 2016, so 2016 big films. So we were in a we were in competition with the Danish Girl, and uh, the Fassbender Macbeth, and 45 Years with Charlotte Rampling. And I don't know how, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> somehow we wound up at this event, and it was great to go because like, I knew that there was no way we were going to win against those films. So it was kind of nice and relaxing in that sense. Yeah. And one of the actors in Little Pieces uh, knew a, a wealthy gentleman who paid for us all to go up. So he, originally I was only given two free tickets and this chap paid for everybody to go. Uh, and he came up with us. And then it was there that he asked me what I was going to do next. And he gave me 10 grand to make a, a short film, which became... Uh, emotional motor unit, which is still, I think, the best example of the work I can do if I'm given money. Um, I, I'm very proud with that, of that film and how it turned out. And things have just slowly kind of crept along from there. I've been given opportunities now I've taken them. Uh, I've worked as a script writer on one film that's currently in sort of early pre-production developing. That's going to be a big film in America that 
is looking really, really positive. I was given the opportunity to direct a short segment of a horror anthology, um, which I did, and uh, that came out on Blu-ray at the beginning of this year. I'm really pleased with that and how that turned out. And then that leads us on to The Maya, which is what I'm working on now and wishing in October. And the, the, the genesis, talk me through the plot um, for, for anyone who's listening. It's, it's almost a, a, a sort of a, a cult thriller in a, a literal sense. So what is it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, contained, it's a contained thriller about a cult. Um, it's about this, it's a, the writer describes it as a morality tale about one of the most immoral people you could ever meet. And it is about this uh, cult leader who has convinced his followers to give up all their earthly possessions and money. And because they're going to commit suicide the morning after the film, is, it takes place. So they've got this huge collective of people. And this is a far reaching cult. It's got art, like arms in Europe, it's got arms around the world. So it's not just a small group thing. It's, big thing so he's earned a lot of money with these people giving up their possessions and money to him he has no intention of following through with the suicide he's going to scarper with the with the cash and his two top lieutenants who are absolutely devoted to it twig that something's not quite right and so they trap him in the church building and try to realign him with the overall goal of the mass suicide before the evening runs out. And so it's like a battle of wits. It's not a, it's, originally it kind of started as a kind of, the, the genesis of the idea was we could make like a little bit of an exploitation horror film. Sure. And with the kind of limitations that COVID presents to us whereby we can't have lots of people there. And it has to take place, we can't do lots of unit moves, um, which are great for low budget ideas. But the first draft of the script came back, it was far more this kind of like cerebral thriller which is a battle of wits between these three characters who are trying to outdo one another over the course of this evening. Um, the writer, Chris, is a friend of mine. We've known each other for about five years. He, I met him because he reviewed little pieces and said really nice things about it. And it was like great to, you know, his review was one of my, one of my favorites. And we just got talking. And over the course of five years, we kind of bounced ideas around. We'd talk about ideas that I'd had, ideas that he had. And then in 2020, when everything shut down, I found myself not working because teaching from home sucked. <laughs> and uh, because I was on a, a flexi contract, I was just like, I'm not doing it. Sorry, I'm, I can't, I can't be doing it. Um, so I found myself with like lots of free time and he was touting a, a contained horror film around, script for a contained horror film. And I was like, yeah, I'll read it. Of course I will. And I sat down and I read through this thing and it just kind of ticked over like I could make this. I just had a conversation with a guy called Clive Frame, who is a, he's a writer and development um, advisor from the UK and he talked to me about this idea of uh, you know making a film in one location in a very short period of time so you're not wasting people's time by asking them to work for free for a really long period of time sure. and just saying to them look we're, we're going to make a movie 
we're going to do it in a week because it's in one or two locations and we're just going to go for it and shoot it. And I'd had a conversation with him about that and Freight was the ideal film for that. Freight being the script that Chris sent. Right. So I read it and I was like, I like this. I think, I, I think we can do this. Let me mark up, make up a budget for it and see if it's, it's doable. And I sent off a, a sort of idea to um, a designer I knew and said, how much would it cost you? Because the whole thing's set on a freight elevator. Okay. So yeah. How much would it cost you to build me a freight elevator set in a hall somewhere? And that took quite a bit of time to come back. And Chris had some other interests from another producer who had some money that he go with it right there, get it right rolling uh, with a name attached to it and a director attached to it. So, you know, he came back and said, look, I've got to sell it. This guy wants it and he, he's going to pay for it. So, but, you know, let's sit down and have a chat about something you'd like to do and I will write something for you. And we sat down and we kind of discussed areas that I'm interested in, areas he's interested in and, what kind of aligned was this idea around cults and how cults sort of bring people, vulnerable people in and exploit them and the sort of damaging long-term effects of that. And thus the Maya was born. And because we'd been looking at a church hall to build the setting, it was written for that location with that location in mind because i saw the main hall of this church the actual church part of it as well as the hall where we were going to build the set and i was just i've got to make something in here that looks incredible so the and it had everything we needed under one roof so the script was written with that in mind as well so it's still very much written in this kind of guerrilla make a movie really fast idea so it was the, the, the confinement of the freight script that you, you didn't get to make sort of inspired the, the sort of the one location or the, the limited locations of, of the Meyer? Yeah, definitely. Because, um, you know, at that point, we had no idea how long this was going to go on. You know, was it going to be, you know, a whole year? Was it going to be a year and a half? Could it even stretch to two years? You know, this was before there was any sort of word of vaccines coming close to me. So we had no idea like how long this was going to last. So, and we could already see like the bigger industry changing to say, we need small stuff where we can keep it containable and keep it controllable. So that like, if we have to lock everybody down for two weeks because they catch it, we're only locking down a very small amount of people and we're not losing loads of money. Sure. So we just took that kind of idea and, and, and rolled with it. And even now that everything started to open up and like, people are moving around again, it's become such a sort of film that I want to make that it is going to be my second feature film. We started pre-production proper on Tuesday. We've got the dates locked in. We're just about to secure the location and pay the deposit on the location. So it, it is happening. It is rolling at this point. And what's um, Oh, what sort of size of crew do you have? It's, it's going to be a very small crew. There's myself, the director of photography. We're currently looking at uh, CVs for sound recordists. Um, we're going to get the sound recordist and assistant, I think, because there's a chap who we know who's really interested in sound and is really keen and really good. Um, 
but probably not quite at the point where he could manage the whole thing himself. So we get him some assistance. We're going to get uh, the DOP an assistant, and we've got three cast members. Um, and that's going to be the principal photography crew, possibly with a couple of students coming in for work experience. Uh, I know a guy who works at the local university. So I can say to him, look, I'm happy to take a person here, a person here, and a person here, but they need to be keen. They need to be people who are going to do it, who are going to be good and do it. Um, and then we've got an editor uh, who will pick everything up later and cut it once we've shot the film. Uh, I'm working with the same composer I always work with, and I'll probably go back to the same re-recording mixer I always go to because I know like, the quality of his work and what his kind of price is. So, so yeah, it's I think maximum we're probably looking at it will wind up being about 12 people but we'll probably do a steven soderbergh sort of thing and bulk it out by giving uh pseudonyms to people to jobs <laughs> that we've done like we have a we have a location manager which is an amalgamation of two names and a costume designer that's an amalgamation of two names but i've done the costume design and someone else has done the location management everyone's working two or three jobs just to to get everything done yeah, I think, you know, it goes back to what I did on Little Pieces, which is was much the same approach. And then where I made Emotional Motor Unit and I made that for money and I was suddenly working with a crew that had departments and heads of department. After that, I didn't really want to step back and I optioned a, a horror script that I wanted to direct that had about a million pound budget. And I was like, yeah, well, that'll be my next film. And I got kind of inflated with the idea that that's what I was going to do and that's all I would settle for. And then that fell through. And so it became like, well, you know, the fact of the matter is Little Pieces is now six years old. Emu is five years old. So, you know, I need to make something to keep myself fresh. And there's really no reason why I have to have a massive crew and I didn't with little pieces and you know that turned out absolutely fine so and the Maya has a better script and I know much more about what I'm doing now so it'll turn out better than that did. So you know that aspect you, you, you've managed to get the, the, the film making knowledge your first film you you funded yourself you had somebody help fund your your, your next one and now you've reached out to try and do crowdfunding. So what was that like? And what, what challenges did you face there? So the crowdfunding element of the Maya is like a really uh, peculiar thing because we're, we're only using it to raise a certain amount of the budget. Okay. We're, um, we've also secured money through a slight stock optioning and uh, through deferments and pulling in favours and so on and so forth. So the, the, actual budget is made up of a lot of things not just the crowdfunding amount the crowdfund we're running at the minute represents like the final 16 percent of the budget i think it is we did a crowdfunding campaign back in december last year and we did it at absolutely the wrong time because we we went live and it went okay. We had people putting money in, you know, we were getting stuff from our friends and so forth. And then a week later, everything just shut. 
you know, we locked down hard again, you know, people weren't working, people weren't, and so the money just stopped. And that became problematic. We were originally meant to shoot in February. Okay. Um, and so that became a real issue. And then cases started going right up. And I, I had COVID quite early on in the, the pandemic and it battered me senseless. So I don't want to put anyone in a position where they could get as sick as I got. Sure. Um, so like, I know the effects are very varied between different people and different and such, but like, I don't want to put anyone in a position where they might get as sick as I got. So we decided about mid-January, because the crowdfunding slowed right down, it was just a case of, we're not going to make it. And so with cases going up, a couple of the cast got a bit anxious about shooting it as well. We decided to delay it. Uh, but because we'd already put some money into it, we, we, you know, we lost that. That was gone. And so we had to reclaim that back up. And we got, so that's when the stock option came in. We got a grant from a local entrepreneurial service. Um, and then, yeah, we, we're crowdfunding this last amount. We've done really well. Uh, it's been running for about four weeks now. We've got about two weeks left. And we only need to raise another £585 to hit our target. So we are, we are almost there. We've had some incredibly generous donations from people, not only in the UK, but from around the world. It's been like really inspiring to see people kind of come together and help us raise the last chance of this one. And what uh, crowdfunding service are you using? So the first one we did was Indiegogo, because it's a big, it's a major platform one. We thought that would be good for visibility. But Indiegogo, I think, is very tech-driven, very tech-based. And so I think we can't, you get kind of lost in the ether of new projects. Sure. You rely an awful lot on that one on like your friends and your colleagues and the people who are prepared to put money in for you. And, you know, we had people do that and you still have to do that for the, any crowdfunding. But what we had with that is you, it's very hard for people to potentially find you. So this time around, we went with a crowdfunding uh, group called Greenlit, who are just film and theatre based. And they're quite selective of the projects that they host. They only host things that they think are going to be uh, relatively successful. Um, their audience base knows what it is. You've not got people there who are looking at like new technology or things like that. You've got people who are coming in to look at, you know, if they're looking on Greenlit, they're looking because they want to invest in films or they sure. want to invest in theatre. And that's proven like a real bonus for us because we've had people invest in uh, invest large amounts in the film this time around that we don't know. Right. Um, someone's put in uh, what someone put in five hundred pounds on the first day, and that was amazing. And then someone put in five hundred pounds a week later, and we had no idea who they were, like no contact with them at all prior to anything. And then about a week after that, they emailed me and said you know, we really like this project and you made a bit more sort of gains and it looks like it's really going to happen. We'd like to put another 
thousand pounds in. Right. Would you be all right with that? And of course, my answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we've had some really great, generous contributions like that. We've also had friends and family. My dad, bless him, put 500 pounds in and really boosted it up for us. Um, we've had colleagues and friends put money in. Um, so it is, it, yeah, it's going really well. And we're now kind of at the point where like 500 quid, if we don't make that final 500 quid, like, I could get the credit card out. I would prefer yeah. not to. I don't want to dissuade people from contributing because I'm being blasé about it. Because like, there's never, there's no such thing as too much money on a film set. That's it, yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like we're in a position now where we, we're confident enough to have started pre-production because we know it's definitely going to go ahead. Well, that's, I mean, it all sounds phenomenal. Um, it, it sounds like a tremendous amount of hard work just to, to raise the financing. Um, and then you've got your shoot, shoot to do as well. But I'm, I'm really looking forward. I think this, the concept sounds great. Um, when are you hoping to release it? Have you got any sort of firm idea for that? Uh, I would like to have it kind of finished about February next year. Um, what I wanted to do, I've had conversations with distributors, although we had conversations with distributors very early on in the process. And at that point I was saying like, yeah, shoot in February, ready in October. And of course now it's shoot in October, ready in, February, yeah. And it's done, you know, February, hopefully, but when it's done. Um, but I would like it to be February, in part because one of the perks that we've sold quite a few of is a watch party. We're going to host a watch party online um, with the cast and crew, and it will be before anyone's seen it. It might even be like uh, a near, almost like a test screening so that we can use it to refine the final sure. cut of the film. Um, and, you know, I don't want to keep people waiting too long for that. that. So that'll be a lot of fun. Plus, I really want a version ready of it so I can send it out to some of the big festivals. I think it's a festival film. You know, I'm very confident in its commercial appeal. I think it's got the ability to go the distance. And I would ideally, although I've talked to distributors, I would still ideally like it to premiere at a, at a decent festival. You know, one that has a, a has a sense of pedigree and prestige to it. You know, but I'd love to premiere it at a rain dance, for example, in the UK, or um, or maybe like Tribeca in the US or somewhere like that. You know, somewhere that or Toronto, somewhere that has like a that's not huge. You know, I have no like illusions. It's probably not getting into Venice. Um, but you never know. Or, you never know. <laughs> You never know, but you know it's probably not getting into Venice or Cannes. But I'd like to it to kind of get into one that has a bit of prestige and a bit of pedigree. That people, if it's a hit there, people will be like, "Oh yeah, it is actually definitely worth checking out." Then, and that's it. There's so many platforms now. You know, you don't have to worry about you know getting a big screen release if that doesn't happen because there's no stigma now attached to going to streaming. So that's quite good for you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, 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 the film's not being made specifically for cinemas. Um, what I would like, though, is I would like to be able to sell it to a distributor and get it into shops and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, you know, I'd really like to 
do that thing where I can go into HMV and hold it up and go, I made this and take a picture of it. And, and they're like, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to be able to do that. But, you know, I'm not making it, I'm not making it to be like, turn me into the next Christopher Nolan, although if it does, I'd love it to. But, you know, I would like to be able to see it in shops and things like that and be able to have something physical that I can hold and say, like, to I my, yeah, yeah, yeah. mail it to my grandparents, you know, look, told you, <laughs> worth it. Um, but yeah, I, but, you know, if it winds up just on streaming, I, that's not a problem either because, you know, ultimately I want people to see it. That's it. I mean, I, I've spoken to so many people in the last year and a half that their their films have just gone to streaming, you know, that, that they had been anticipating premieres and, and things like that. And it's just like everyone's kind of like, you know what, I'm cool with that because we've all we've all streamed everything for the past two years almost. So it's a, it's not yeah. a different day occurrence. Yeah, no, I think, you know, there are some films that I look at and I think I have to see that in a cinema, you know. I don't want the first time I see Doom to be on the telly. No, I or, your, or your that. tablet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that in the cinema on the biggest screen I can possibly see it on. But something like The Maya, which is very contained and inside and claustrophobic, it would suit the small screen as well as it would the big screen. Um, you know, and if it like, if next year festivals are still in that sort of stage where they're doing half in attendance screenings and half uh streaming you know even if we were to get into a festival that and only it's streaming half right i'd be well chuffed with that i just you know it'd be nice to have it, i guess i'm kind of looking for the validation of like having that kind of name attached to it sure. just because i want this to be i'm not getting any younger and i want this to be the the sort of like the film that makes people go oh yeah we can trust them with our money that won't stop me of course, but I'm ambitious and I want to keep making things and get bigger and better and grow as a family. Well, I hope it all turns out well. Um, I hope you keep me updated on things as you go along. And if you've got any behind the scenes odds and ends, feel free to, to send them my way and I'll put them on the site. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, good luck with the filming. And uh, I hope that come the, the new year, I, uh, I get to have a look at it. So fingers crossed. Um, Sure, you will. I've utilised uh, Film Twitter, as it's known. Um, I utilised that way back with the house near Apple Park. I utilised that to get people's, um, to get reviews for that short film. Uh, I saw, I think I knew then that it was going to grow into something bigger than it was. Uh, I remember back then there were a load of blogs and it was just people giving their opinions on films that everyone's seen. Yeah. And, um, you know, this kind of when you see like 100 blogs with 100 reviews of, say, like Predator, it's like, yeah, we all know Predator's awesome. You don't need to tell us again. Um, but I thought there's an opportunity here to, to say to people, hey, do you want something fresh that other people haven't seen that is going to make people go, oh, I wonder what that is, and maybe click on it. And That's it. interesting. And it's great for me to have the opportunity to, to do that for people as well, because much like you said, even I don't want to write the 450th review of Predator, you know, I want it to be something different that, you know, that, that can help someone. No, no one who makes Predator needs help, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of small guys like yourself that, that, that need that exposure. Yeah, exactly. And I think film Twitter is great for that. Um, the review, um, 
the reviews for the quality on there is is fantastic. Um, and I'm one of those people that believes that when people review stuff, if they ask for like like payment in exchange for it, then like I, I figure go for it. People deserve to get paid for what they do. Um, in that sense, I know there's a couple of independent filmmakers that I've encountered that think they shouldn't have to pay for reviews and stuff. Well, if you're asking someone to give up their time and they say, well, I'm prepared to, but then, you know, it's only, it's only fair, I think. Well, I, I only, uh, I only do it for free. So feel free to, uh, to it when you won't be to have something to say about it, fire it my way and uh, I'll uh, review it for you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot. Um, but yeah, so people can kind of find me on Twitter uh, at Apple Park Films. And that's where we're doing most of the crowdfunding stuff. So if people want to have a look at what we're offering, just come and give us a follow on at Apple Park Films. Uh, it's, it's a business account. And at the minute, we are obviously trying to sell people uh, the crowdfunding. But because it's just me, it's also quite an informal business account. You will get like like my views on films and things I've seen I talk to people it's not just purely kind of corporate line sort of stuff you know I'm, I'm very much a human being behind that account so you know come and give us a follow sometimes I'm funny <laughs> and all your links and everything that, that, that people need to find they're, they're on there they're on there yeah um you know I could give you the URL for the greenlit thing, but it's quite long. And by the time I finish saying it, people will probably be bored. Just have a look on Apple Park Films. Give us a follow. Uh, it's all on there. I'm happy to talk to people about it. You know, drop me a DM or at me on Twitter. And go for it. Well, that's great. And thank you so much for your time today. And like I said, good luck with the movie. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Cool. And we'll leave it there. I hope that went okay. That was great. Yeah. That was um, great. I'll get that sort of posted on Monday, probably Monday evening. And once it's live, uh, I'll send you a link to the website. Um, it's on the podcast goes on all sort of Apple and Spotify and all those places. So whichever you want to sort of point people at, but it'll be embedded on the sites just to, to make things easier as well. And then, uh, yeah, I'll spread I, the will, word. I will point people like to all of them. Uh, that's the best way to do it really but no thank you for your time i've, I've actually i've really enjoyed it no so have I. do you know what it's, it's always great to, to talk to people of you know passionate about film and uh, like i said low budget filmmakers i have total respect for because you know you're, you're doing the hard work and not only do you have to to make the film and help write it but you've also got to raise the funding for it so uh, I, I can only imagine how hard that is so i, I really do mean good luck it, it, it's it's crazy but it's you know you know, i wouldn't like it, it's a great way to kind of put off people that aren't really into it you know what i mean like, that's it yeah i can see why people kind of fall by the wayside very quickly because it is it's a slog but a lot of us are really passionate and driven by it and get it done one way or another and you know that's why the community i think is so good and so great yeah, no, it, it, it's great to kind of see people, and I, I know a lot of people who do it, and I, like you said, it, it, you see so many people just give up, you know, at the first hurdle because it is too much hard work, so uh, so I do respect yeah. you for it. Yeah, no, no, it, it's absolutely true, people do, like, even with, like, even with this, like, it reached the point kind of, like, in June before, like, 
we did the second crowdfunder and all that and we realized we still weren't quite there and we needed another four grand and, so, and there was a point when i was like i'm not sure i'm it i, I like i've got it in me anymore and then like, i just you know, got a slap around the face so yeah come on. <laughs> <laughs> you've taken other people's money now and you've got to do it continue <laughs> keep going you're, you're you've passed the point of no return that's it you know it was wonderful to like look at it over the weekend and realize that we'd hit the point now where it was like if we don't make it we will still make it because we can put the money in ourselves because it's that small an amount. You know, if I was to put four grand in, well, I, I don't have four grand lying around yeah. to, to be able to do it and neither do any of the others, but we've all got like a couple of hundred quid lying around that we can toss in, you know. So it is, it's just like that sort of sense of perseverance. And yeah, like, and thankfully we had some great people contact us from the states saying we'd like to put a lot in no i mean that sounds fantastic. and again it also shows that your concept has people interested so you kind of know there's an audience before it's you know it's even yeah there. yeah i mean that's great either that or we're laundering money for the mob but like as long as i don't have to know about it i don't care <laughs> you know at this point who cares <laughs> yeah exactly if i if all i have to do is spend it i will clean that paper it's <laughs> but um like i like i said well, as you're making it, if you've got any sort of behind the scenes bits and pieces that you want me to share, fire them my way and I'll, I'll do it on the side. I'm sure we will at some point, definitely. Um, I know that we're going to have people there taking photographs and so on and so forth. So um, we'll definitely have bits and pieces to share. Um, we'll be, we'll, obviously, we'll be sharing it on our social media as well and by really getting it out there and trying to push it because we want to show people that like yeah we are you know we haven't just taken your money and run yes we are spending it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no thank you again and uh yeah no good luck and i'll speak to you soon yeah definitely thank you i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the movies and focus podcast you can download it wherever you get your podcasts and i hope that you tell your friends about it that's it for this time and i'll see you at the movies